Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. That is not the uh, usual theme music to Dear Hank and John. Do you know what you just heard? Uh, it, was chi- it was Chipmunks. Right now, Hank, you are listening to the dulcet tones of the Chipmunks singing their hit song, There's No Rock and Roll on Mars. So while we were at NerdCon Nerdfighteria, we met up with John Harrison, uh, a nerdfighter who we've known uh, for a while now, and he gave me an LP, Hank, an LP, a vinyl record of the Chipmunks singing hit songs from their television program, including their hit song, There's No Rock and Roll on Mars. John, when you say hit song... Uh, did this one chart? I don't really, I feel like I haven't heard this one before. Is it one of the greatest songs ever recorded by the Chipmunks? Yes. Has it been, like, culturally acknowledged as one of the greatest Chipmunk songs? Not yet, but that's what this podcast is here to do, Hank. It is here to turn Alvin and the Chipmunks singing There's No Rock and Roll on Mars into the hit that it deserves to be. Yeah, trying to get them the proper credibility. I will say, though, that, John, in the Chipmunks coloring book, which I have just found a picture of on DeviantArt, um, Alvin, Simon, and Theodore uh, are playing soccer on Mars... While singing, there's no rock and roll on Mars because there is no beat among the stars. Uh, But they have gone to Mars. um, So they think that it's worth going despite the lack of rock and roll. I am a little bit skeptical of the moon that is in the the sky in this drawing of the chipmunks because uh, there's there's no moon like that on Mars either. But good try, folks, (laughs) of, of, uh, of chipmunk... Uh, coloring book illustration. Good try. Uh, they seem to be having a very good time. Well, I wanted to thank John uh, for the LP as well as uh, for his friendship. And uh, I hope that uh, you're enjoying the pod. Hank, let's start up uh, the proper podcast now, I guess. Hello and welcome. This is Dear Hank and John. A comedy podcast about death. We're going to answer your questions, provide you dubious advice, bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. But first... First, I have to read a short poem, Hank. Or actually, let's talk about how we're doing. How was NerdCon for you? Right, it was great. Uh, my voice is still a little bit raw, and hopefully I won't be coughing too much. I sang my soul out of my mouth, and it got out for a little bit, but then I got it back because everybody threw it back to me. It crowd surfed for a while, and uh, and it was fantastic. It really was magical. It made me so excited for VidCon Europe and Amsterdam this April and for VidCon this summer. And it just, I, I have to say, Hank... You know, you do a lot of things, and sometimes I get overwhelmed with the number of things that you do because I have to be... Oh, me too. I have to be the tail to your comet, and even being that can be a little exhausting. But uh, this weekend at NerdCon, I was reminded that you and the people you work with just put together amazing experiences, and I felt so grateful to be there, and I'm very grateful to you, and I will stop being sentimental now. But uh, I am really excited to see you again in Amsterdam and then 
in Anaheim. And presumably, maybe we'll hang out at some point, not in front of thousands of people. (laughs) Hank, would you like a short poem for today? Yeah, do it. Oh, one other thing that's going on in my life. As we're recording this, it's Ash Wednesday. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, It's the beginning of Lent uh, for me and lots of other people. And I've decided to give up the social internet for Lent, Hank. And so far, it's great. Yeah, I gave up the social internet for baby. And it was all, it was great. Um, And in fact, just this weekend, like because there's so much going on in the real life at a convention, I, you, you sort of like by default kind of, you know, give up on like at least consuming Twitter and stuff. Like I might be posting tweets just because like I, like I'm, I'm having exceptionally interesting things happen to me, but I don't read them. And then, I, like, and then when I get back into it, I'm like, "Wow, why was I doing this before? This doesn't. This isn't better." And, uh, and suddenly, the, the Donald Trump is giving a speech to Congress, and I'm like, "I don't care." Like, the the thing that happened right this moment has absolutely like there are so many days that have happened. Why do I care what's happening on this particular day? Well, I don't know how to answer that question, Hank, except to say that maybe you should uh, embrace Christianity at least enough to embrace Lent. <laughs> I feel like if I was going to give up something for Lent, it would be it would be maybe a uh, I don't know what would it be. Maybe I should give up... um... You can think about that while I read you a short poem, if you'd like. Yeah, sure. You go. All right, Hank, here's your short poem for today. Uh, It's just, it's one of my favorites. Very short, but very beautiful. It goes like this. He's traveled near and far. Yes, he's come a long, long way. And if you ask him why he's come here, this is what he'll say. There's no rock and roll on Mars. There's no beat among the stars. As you can plainly see, the Earth is the place to be because there's no rock and roll on Mars. I see. You know, that that was... Uh... Oh, God, it's just, you know, it's everything I want a poem to be. It's funny. <laughs> it's heart-wrenching. I actually, I it's was it totally all. in. Uh, and I just thought it was just another poem. It's pretty amazing. Poetry. I, I mean, all the, the hidden gems that are um, in amongst the, the works of the chipmunks, John. Do you want to <laughs> ask a question or should I? Why don't you ask the first question, Hank? This one is from Rachel, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my friend and I were driving the other day, and she, uh, since she was the, in the passenger seat, uh, she said that she should get the aux cord and play her music. However, I believe that since I am the one who is going through the stressful process of driving, I deserve to listen to the music. Who deserves the aux cord? Please help settle this debate. Of oxen and aux cords, Rachel. Mm. It's a tough one. I do mm. think that in general, the driver's needs need to be prioritized. Right. But at the same time, like you, Rachel, when you're driving, you shouldn't be trying to figure out what songs are going to play. Like if it's just like your friend is is plugging in the thing. And no, but you should be able to say to your friend. Yeah. Well, what songs I, I, I feel like maybe play. it's your iPod. It's a selection of your music. But I don't want you distracted by figuring out what songs to play. Um, I, but, but I do think that in general, not only are you driving, it is presumably your vehicle. And so your friend is the one, I mean, unless you have a shared vehicle, you, it's your car, you decide. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Rachel, it's your iPod that goes into this aux cord or phone or whatever the kids are listening to music on these days. But then your friend gets to pick which songs from your, oh, wait, no, people don't have songs on their phones anymore. Now they just have streaming services. So (laughs) you'd be opening your friend up to listen to literally anything. They could listen to, as my son likes to, the lesser known hits of the rapper Psy. So I I think you have to have uh, veto power um, over what songs are played. I have to say, Hank, I'm part of part of what makes this question difficult for me is that my children think that they have a right to listen to whatever music they want to listen to when they're in the car with me. And what they want to listen to almost exclusively is this song by Psy called Daddy. Are you familiar with it? No, John, I am not familiar with Daddy. Okay, so um, it's one of Psy's lesser known works. And it is um, like... It's, uh, I, I mean, I know that Cy is a listener to the pod, so I want to be clear that I'm a big fan of his work and I'm grateful to him. And obviously that, that song has 240 million listens. So somebody likes it. It's horrible. And like it, 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 the music video is kind of funny, but I, I can't, I can't watch the music video in the car. <laughs> I'm just listening to the song over and over and over. I've probably heard this song. I would lowball it at 600 billion times. I am responsible for almost all of the listens to Daddy that have ever happened in the world, and it's 
oh my God, oh my God. If I, I, and they just think, oh, it's our car. But it's not. It's my car. Right. Yes. You should. You should definitely. Uh, you should definitely. Before you let your children in the car, have them sign a piece of paper that says, "This is not my car," or just have them say it out loud. Because I don't know if they can write yet. But just say, "Say, Daddy, this is not my car." Yeah. Yeah. Alice can't really. Alice can't really sign her name yet as such. But I mean, in general, they just. Ah, uh, I love my children, but they don't have great taste in music at the moment. <laughs> Which is weird because, like, you would think that since I'm pretty into the chipmunks, yeah. that, like, we could maybe find some common ground, but somehow we can't. <laughs> Hank, we've got another question. This one comes from Ryan. Apparently, he's a real Ryan, although I have not seen a driver's license, uh, so it's impossible to know for sure. Uh, but Ryan writes, Dear John and Hank, since the universe is expanding, what does that mean for the space that we occupy? Am I getting larger in ways unrelated to weight gain? Why do we not notice that we are all inflating like balloons? Nouns and other nouns, Ryan. Yes, Ryan, which sounds like something someone not named Ryan would say, although I'm inclined to believe that this is a Ryan. In the future, if you want to email us and get your question answered, the first thing you want to be is a Ryan, <laughs> and you want to be able to definitely identify yourself as a Ryan in some way that's extremely compelling to us. Yes, you can go, you can go ahead and send proof along. That'd be absolutely fine. Now, the question... We got a lot of false Ryans out uh, there. So, so situation, John... Uh, universe is expanding, but we we are not. Is that okay with you? Uh, it seems wrong. Do you need it explained? Do you need to explain more deeply than that? I thought I was part of the universe. You are part of the universe, but the universe is expanding. But the the forces that hold atoms together are not changing, mm -hmm. and so they the atoms are held together as tightly and in the same size and all of the other chemical and, and atomic interactions are happening on a much different scale and also gravity and also all of these forces. Uh, they happen, th those forces stay the same. So the universe is expanding, but individual elements of the universe are not expanding. Are some individual elements of the universe expanding? Uh, well, I mean, basically, if something is traveling apart, like like things that are moving apart from each other, they uh, they move differently than they would if the universe weren't expanding, because ah oh goodness, I, this is above my pay grade, John. The like like so galaxies seem to stay the same size pretty much, but superclusters, which are are like galaxies of galaxies, like big clusters of galaxies, they are expanding a little bit, but they don't expand as much as they as the universe is because the, there's gravity holding them together. So it's really the space like the the space between the galaxies that we can really see expanding because there isn't there like because the the things between but with that stuff in between them are so far apart that they basically don't affect each other anymore and so you can really see the effect of the expanse of the universe. But again, not really a thing I know. So one of the things that I like to think about when I really want my head to hurt is that there are 100 billion stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way, or somewhere around there. And there are at least 100 billion galaxies uh, in the universe. So like our neighborhood has 100 billion stars, which is one neighborhood out of 100 billion neighborhoods. So... That makes me feel like, uh, like, like I, I, I definitely get how stuff's happening on a few different scales, you know, like. <laughs> well, in, in general, like uh, we've realized things about the universe that are like, oh, okay, let's just maybe we should just think about what's happening here because when we look up there, it's like, oh wow, that's weird. That's super cool. That's super cool, but I don't want to think about it too much because it makes me wonder, like, what's where? What am I? And do I like? Well, okay, that's uh, that's outside of the scale of, of of our ability to really comprehend. Yeah, like one of the ones that I'm fond of is that it doesn't really do any good to think about what happened before the Big Bang because there was no time, at least as we understand it. So, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> a, there was no before the Big Bang because time started then. 
<laughs> right. That's such a, but like to, like to me from not coming from a science background, coming from like an, a humanities background, that's such a cop out to be like, oh no, you don't understand. The Big Bang also created time. Well, like that, I, I'm sure that's true, but it's too weird for me to accept. <laughs> it does really sound like, uh, like, oh, you wanted to know this, the answer to this question? Oh, well, that thing doesn't exist. There is no answer to that question. Ha ha ha! Done. Yeah, it's like the it's like the Zen Buddhist oh, masters used to say that uh, uh, th- there's no answer to the question because it's a question wrongly put. I have a related question though for you, Hank, uh, which also might be a question wrongly put. For all I know. This question comes from Megan, who writes, Dear Green Brothers, recently in a SciShow video, Hank mentioned the Big Bang in reference to it creating radio wave interfering waves that still exist to this day. I could have sworn that I read somewhere that the Big Bang was disproven as a possible theory to how our universe or galaxy came to be. I know that for religious reasons, some people don't believe in the Big Bang, and perhaps they could have spread this, but I thought it was disproven by scientists. I guess my question would have to be, Big Bang. Do you believe it happened? And has it been disproven? <laughs> Simply, Megan. I, uh, well, the, again, above my pay grade, there continues to be discussion. Um, we, based on sort of like what we, based on the available data, it seems very, very, very likely that the Big Bang was a thing. Like we can see the evidence of it having happened. We, like everything is radiating out from from like a central point, kind of. Um, and if you trace all that back, then then... It indeed looks like it traces back to a moment when everything was sort of compressed into an infinitesimally tiny little piece of space and super, super, super hot piece of space. Um, and Like sexy? Yeah, just very, very attractive to, uh, to the average human. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, super symmetrical features. <laughs> So uh, I don't know where the, uh, I mean, things happen occasionally where we're like, oh, we have new data and it doesn't fit in with the Big Bang or it even contradicts the Big Bang hypothesis. And then we have to be like, okay, what does that mean for the Big Bang? Should we be examining that theory, which explains a lot of stuff? Or should we be trying to figure out whether this data is wrong or whether this data uh, adds, will add to our understanding of, you know, our understanding of cosmology? But... Uh, no, it was not disproven. Do I believe it is a weird question because I don't like I, I try not to think that I believe in any of these things. I try to think that like these are the current best explanations we have for the data we have collected. And uh, and I had tried to not have that be about belief. But no, it has not been disproven, though it is very difficult to disprove anything. We can say that a lot of the data that we have uh, is explained very well by the idea of the Big Bang. All right, Hank, you want to ask a question that's not about science? Yeah, sure. This question comes from Kayla, who asks, Dear Hank and John, This past year has been particularly rough for me, and I've been dealing with some pretty unpleasant bouts of depression. As of about an hour ago, I've booked a plane ticket to spend two weeks in Amsterdam by myself to kind of try and find myself. I have really wanted to go to Amsterdam after hearing John speak so highly of it. So, John, this one is for you. What are the things a person must see and experience in Amsterdam? Also, any tips for a 25-year-old woman traveling by herself? Champagne and bitter balls, Kayla. All right, Kayla. First off, I love the geographical cure as a solution to all all problems. It never works, but I keep trying it. <laughs> I've been trying it for most of my life. It's always failed, but I'm going to keep after it because I believe in the geographical cure. Um So, Hank, uh, I once went to my somewhat hometown of Birmingham, Alabama for two weeks. I decided to go there to find myself in my mid-20s during a really bad period of mental health. I was going to go back to my high school haunts and walk that world and try to work on the story that was looking for Alaska and etc. And so I got a room at the Motel 6 near my old high school uh, for, I think, 13 consecutive nights. And do you know what I did? Did you just sit around and watch TV? I did not leave the hotel room for the for those 13 days. That is That was a bad strategy in retrospect Mm -hmm. Uh, spending 13 days inside of the motel six in pelham alabama did not significantly improve my mental health (laughs) so (laughs) kayla i would encourage you to try not to do that uh to try to before you go 
maybe build some kind of social network so there are some people you can meet up with, maybe nerd fighters that you can meet up with, maybe fellow listeners to the pod, maybe connect to people on the nerd fighter Discord channel. I don't know what the best way is or, or some other travel forum uh, because I think if you can meet people uh, or have things that you want to do that aren't just tourist things that'll really help uh, get you through the two weeks so that you don't become further and further isolated. There are a few things that I even if you're going to VidCon uh, Europe in Amsterdam and you want to have some fun things to do, there are a few things I really, really love doing in Amsterdam. One is if you can drink, I highly recommend going to this bar where there are like 400 different kinds of the Dutch national liquor, Yeniver. It's, uh, I don't know how to pronounce anything in Dutch despite having spent a lot of time there. Um, I think it's called uh, Proflokal Weinerd Fokink, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Just Google Dutch Yeniver place in Amsterdam and you'll get there. Um, there's also great museums in uh, Amsterdam, the Anne Frank House, obviously, but also the Stedelijk is one of the best uh, contemporary art museums in the world. Uh, the Rijksmuseum has an incredible collection of uh, Dutch masters, Renaissance and Renaissance uh, painting. Um, the Central Library in Amsterdam is one of the most architecturally interesting libraries I've ever been in, a wonderful place to write and think and read. They have a pretty good English language section as well. Um, and then I just loved every morning walking around the Vondelpark, which is like uh, Amsterdam's Central Park. It is a big, open public space full of lots of interesting people watching, but also, you know, a nice cafe and lot. it's just a really cool park. Uh, so I recommend that. And you can spend all day in Amsterdam if you want just walking, um, you know, the canal streets and people watching and stopping in cafes and enjoying cups of coffee. And since it takes 45 minutes for uh, anyone to bring you a check, you would be surprised how quickly you can kill the day just by having <laughs> one cup of coffee. Uh, so those would be my recommendations. But the big thing I would say is... You really is, do have to flag them down. You have, like In Europe, if you want to leave a restaurant, you have to be, hello, I am over here and I would like to no longer be in your restaurant. They don't just come to you with a check. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, ever happen. At, at one point during our months in Amsterdam, uh, I did get up at a restaurant, walk up to the front and do a very ugly American thing, which was saying... I am going to leave. I would like to pay for my meal, but regardless, I am going to leave. <laughs> Very weird. Um, yeah, I just I, I do want to just encourage you one more time, Kayla, though, to try to make sure that you're creating a situation where you're not going to stay uh, like inside your hostel for 14 days feeling really sad because that might not help out. So good luck with your geographical cure. I still believe in it, despite all my failures. Yes, quite. Uh, I, I will add a very small thing, which is that I find museums to be terrible unless I do a, like a, a fair amount of research first. I think museums are more or less built for people who know stuff about the thing that is inside of the museum. And so when I when I uh, go to like when I go to museums of science, I'm just like this is the coolest. And when I go to museums of art, I'm like this. I, my hands feel like they're going to explode because my blood has stopped pumping and my, my lymph is no longer being pushed around my body because of the sheer uh, crushing weight of not knowing any of the context of any of this stuff. And so I have now found that if I can spend like even a half hour reading about uh, the museum and some of the stuff that's inside of it before going to it, I uh, feel much less like I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, you got another question, or do you want me to hit you with one, John? I, I mean, I there's a huge variety of questions here, Hank. I can ask you a question. You can ask me a question. We could just end the pod, whatever you feel like. Well, I got another, I got another one that I, it's for you, John, and but it's about me, so I want to ask it. It's from Liesel, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my name is Liesel, and I have been a nerdfighter for nigh on eight or nine years. Big fan of your content. When I get ready in the morning, sometimes I have old Vlogbrothers YouTube videos playing in the background. Recently, two of the videos I watched were Hank giving videos directed towards John's children. Why is the sky blue and how to be a baby properly. Have Henry and Alice seen any of these videos or any Vlogbrothers videos? And John, when will you make a video providing your nephew with arbitrary and probably dubious advice? More, 
morituri te satu sa sa salutant morituri te salutant lethal. Which who knows? Do you know what that sign-off means, Hank? Does it mean remember you must die? No, it means uh, those who are about to die salute you. It's something that the Roman <laughs> legions used to say to their uh, Caesar. Ah, that's that's good. It's so good. It's pretty good. Those who are about to die salute you. Oh, I'll tell you what. The Romans knew so much about how to die dramatically. Because uh, John, but it works for everybody. Because we're all about to die. I know. I, I actually think those uh, who are about to die salute you is a really great sign off. And I would encourage more people to use it. If memento mori doesn't work for you, maybe <laughs> uh, moratory to salutant will. So, Hank, I do not think I have shown either of those videos to uh, Henry or Alice. Aww. They have watched a few Vlogbrothers videos. <laughs> they aren't super into them. They like watching yours more than they like watching mine, certainly. Um, and maybe if I showed them some kid-friendly Vlogbrothers content, they would be into it. But they like their own YouTube, you know? YouTube Kids is its own little world. Yeah, well, I guess I should probably make some animated Minecraft machinima and uh, be very excited Oh, Maybe. I mean, if you wanted to make some, like, Minecraft videos, Henry would watch that all day, and I am not exaggerating. <laughs> uh, well, I just I have to make sure that they're educational as well. Well, that probably will make Henry like them less. <laughs> that is the thing about it, isn't it? Indeed. I want to ask another question. This one comes from Xenia, who asks, Dear Junk, sorry, I don't want to have to choose a favorite. That's that's a class way of approaching it. My name is Xenia, and I'm 19, and I'm from Germany, writing you from India. I just watched the video you uploaded yesterday on February 14th. But By the way, never trust <laughs> that your question will be answered in a timely fashion <laughs> concerning development and how the overall quality of life is increasing rapidly due to international development efforts. I've noticed that we as a society often tend to see ourselves, in my case, Germany or Europe, as the end goal, as if we have all the answers. One idea that was introduced to us today was the model of two-dimensional development, which tries to find a balance between the factors we have considered to be important for development and the impact a country has on the environment. My question is, is it not about time that we change the way we talk about development. How can we consider ourselves to be a developed country when our love for consumption could irreparably destroy the world we all live in? Referring to countries as developed or developing implies that the former have reached the ultimate goal while the latter strive to reach that standard. So I think this is a really interesting question, Hank, and I wanted to ask it because it brings up important points. And I do think that there's something deeply wrong with talking about developed and developing countries. Uh, some people have started to use different yeah. phrases like rich countries, poor countries, and middle-income countries, which also comes with its own set of problems because, mm -hmm. you know, it, it presumes that uh, that rich is the only good end. But that said, just as I think we have to be really careful when it comes to not imposing our definitions of success upon other communities, I also think we have to listen to other communities when they talk about the ways in which they want life to change in their communities. And one of the things that, and, and so and so to me, that is the key to development is listening. Uh, and, and I think across cultures, one of the things you find consistently is that uh, people don't want their kids to die, uh, that they don't want to die in childbirth, that they don't want uh, disabling diseases, and that they want their families to have enough food and access to the right nutrients as well as uh, shelter. And that you do find pretty much everywhere. People want to have long, healthy, productive lives, and they want their kids to have access to education. And so when those are the foci or focuses, I don't actually know which is the right word, <laughs> of development efforts, I think that they are good. Um, and I don't want to tell other people that consumption is only for countries that are currently rich. Instead, I, I want to create you know, a world where because we have far more people who are better educated, that means we have far more innovators who can solve big, difficult problems like the problem of energy, for instance. And I also don't want to say that only certain kinds of development should be available to other people, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I think there's something a little bit wrong and paternalistic about saying, like, oh, only we should be allowed to be disgustingly conspicuous consumers. I, I, th <laughs> I think that that's equally problematic. 
Well, it's not just, it's not like the conspicuousness of the consumption. I mean, you look back at the history of America and we destroyed our landscape. We have been very inefficient. And then we say to other countries, don't do that. Don't use the resources on your land. Leave them in place. Don't uh, don't strip mine. Don't do all the thing, all the things that we did in order to build our economy. And yes, like we want to create a world where that those things don't happen. But it's also like we are are literally right. You and me and most of the people listening to this podcast right now are probably literally sitting upon a thing that was the result of like of, of that exploitation of of the natural world and uh and so when i when i talk about like the environment and climate change oftentimes people will be like well how can you also be like in favor of capitalism and it's because like we like there's the environment and then there's humans and i believe that those both of those things are important and we have to create solutions for human beings who are in terrible situations and who are suffering and that is important it is also important that we preserve an environment that will continue to be able to sustain humanity and also preferably other things well uh for their own sake well into the future and that's hard that's hard problems to solve um and and uh, and I don't think, but I don't think that like we can say like don't do that without also coming with a solution to help them to help people grow um, the you know the opportunities for them and their their children and their families um, without doing whatever that thing is. Right, and I think one of the ways we're going to find solutions to those problems is that right now we have not come even close to maximizing the number of potential innovators on earth among humans because we because the vast majority of people don't have access to really good educational opportunities and so i think with more kids in schools and more kids in school for longer i think that you can create a virtuous cycle in which some of these energy problems can be if not solved then at least mitigated and you know that that we may look back on this time as the time when we hopefully became highly motivated to solve these energy and consumption problems and also started to have the human resources to solve them. Yeah. But it is very complicated and it is not easy. And I think it is important to, to consider all the things that markets don't do well. And one of the, the things that markets do especially poorly is value natural resources. Well, John, I've got another question. If you think that it's time for that. It's from Elsa who asks, dear Hank, dear Hank and John, when they send people to Mars in 2028, or earlier, by the way, Elsa, do you think they will only send people of one gender? What would happen if somebody got pregnant on Mars? What would we do? Would the baby be an alien? Would it stay there? Please answer. This can't wait. Spaceships and aliens, Elsa. Uh, Elsa, it can it can wait. <laughs> it can. It can wait. It cannot wait. At John. least eleven years. It cannot wait. And in fact, I believe that there was just a, a movie about this topic that didn't do particularly well. Um, but uh, yes, we will send people of both genders to Mars. There has been some little bit of discussion about how it would be better to send only women to Mars because they tend to be smaller and thus easier to shoot through space and also they consume fewer calories um and you know all, all else being equal it's good to have uh good to be shooting less stuff through space than more stuff so maybe we'll just take a bunch of small people but um but uh we will send both genders because we want to study the effects of space and life on mars on both genders because the like the big one of the big great things about going to Mars is that you can not only have humans on the surface of Mars studying Mars, you can have those people then come home and get studied, uh, and you can have them on the surface of Mars studying each other to make sure that we can indeed uh, successfully and healthfully live on the surface of another planet. Uh, but I imagine everybody's going to be on birth control. Um, yep. <laughs> That's the end of that question. Would it be hard to, uh, would it be hard to have a baby on Mars? Uh, I, you, you know, John, I don't know that it would be any harder to have the baby on Mars, though certainly we have no idea. It would definitely be, uh, very, like, problematic and worrying for the, the development of the baby once it's born. And I would, would not oh, want really? to, uh, would not want to do that without, um, 
I don't know. I without without like animal testing, frankly, I, I you, we have no idea what. So you're saying that Mars is not a good place to raise children. Um, I'm saying Mars is not a good place to have children. Um, and it's not the kind of place to raise your kids. In fact, it's cold as hell. So, well, that seems to me like a place that I don't want to go. <laughs> Why would I want to go somewhere? It's not even going to be a good good place for yeah, my family. Yeah, I mean, family. it is like like let's stay it, here. We've never Earth, had, which is a great place to raise children. In fact, it's the best place in the known universe <laughs> to raise children by far. <laughs> We've never uh, seen. I, 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 actually, I don't know if we've done experiments on animals who are pregnant in space, but I bet we have. So, write to us about that. Well, I'm about to Google pregnant animals in space and become a expert in this field. <laughs> Boom! Space-born animals adjust to gravity from 2013. Mm. Boom! It was a jellyfish. <laughs> they, put a, they took jellyfish to space. I, Some of those jellyfish were pregnant, and their jellyfish children um, uh, were born and raised in zero gravity, and everything worked out better than expected. Uh, <laughs> so we'll be fine. I, uh, I think that... You know what they say, what goes for jellyfish always goes for humans. <laughs> we've, done it on, we've done it with rats, too, but this article is very long, and I'm not going to read it right now. It has a quote from... Uh, the main scientist, quote, I was exposed to the space bug and I got it bad. I don't know if that's a reference to like when they were in space and they had some kind of flu, but uh, it sounds terrible. I've always I want to avoid space bugs at all costs. God, I'm so entirely content to stay here on the planet Earth and just explore its majesty. Um, all right, Hank, I got another question for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you still reading about pregnant rats? <laughs> Pregnant space rats. Pregnant space rats is a pretty good name for a band. Um, this question: uh, Should I take it to a real serious place, or should I just should we just keep going with the current vibe? Well, let's let's switch it up, John. Switch me hard. Swerve. Okay, we're going to a real serious place. This question comes from Joshua, who asks, Dear John and Hank, you're both married and seem very happy and very much in love with your spouses. I am also married, but I do not love my wife. I don't hate her or anything. I just don't love her. How do I deal with this? Additional details. We have three kids together, and I feel resentful of them, almost like it's their fault I don't love my wife, even though I know it isn't. We're just really good roommates at this point. Sorry, I don't have a cool sign-off. Joshua, I think you might need to go to therapy. I think like you should go to th therapy because I think probably a lot of what's happening is maybe not about your children or your spouse, but about stuff that's happening with you. And I wouldn't like discount also going to therapy with your spouse. Um, uh, right. I would do both if you have access to good mental health care. Yeah. I mean, the therapist could help you develop a cool sign-off, but I think that there are more substantial uh, worries at this point. I think you've got three problems. The first problem and the one that's probably easiest to solve is the not having a cool sign-off problem. Um, because we've we've just discovered one right, yes. um, in, this, uh, in this very episode of Dear Hank and John. So you can just say... Uh, we who are about to die salute you. That's that problem is solved. So then we've got these. We've got two somewhat larger, more complicated problems: uh, <laughs> the resentfulness toward the kids, which I mean, everybody feels resentful toward their kids sometimes. But you don't want to not have that like joy and pleasure in your life. But I also think. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, do not come to us for psychological help or for counseling. Hank and I are so far outside of the world of relationship experts, it is not even funny. Um, we know absolutely nothing about this. I will say that uh, I don't think that love is some like place that you arrive at and never leave. I don't really buy that vision of love, that it's this thing that you're supposed to feel all the time. Like that, you know, like the... There's uh, I, when I was in my Catholic engaged encounter, Hank, before Sarah and I got married, we went on this one week long Catholic engaged encounter that despite me hating every second of it has had a huge and positive influence on my life. Um, at, when we were on our Catholic engaged encounter, they told us that uh, love goes through this cycle of romance, disillusionment and content. And I found that very helpful because when I'm experiencing disillusionment or content, I tend not to think like, oh, well, this is forever. I tend to think like, well, here we are in the cycle. And that's been very helpful to me. Um, thanks, for, thanks for throwing the swerve in, John. 
Uh, Got to keep it interesting here on Dear Hank and John. Speaking of the Swerve, Hank, that reminds me, today's podcast is brought to you by the Swerve. The Swerve, a part of the podcast Hank just invented. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is also brought to you by the song Daddy by Psy. It's uh, got a real great music video, oh. uh, and you want to hear it over and over and over again in your car's real nice sound system. I really, Actually, I genuinely wish the song Daddy by Psy would at least sponsor me so I could get some money out of this horrible, horrible deal I found myself in. Of course, today's podcast is also sponsored by The Geographical Cure. The Geographical Cure, it hasn't worked yet <laughs> but, but it but who cares because you get to go places this podcast is also brought to you by the big bang theory not the television show the actual uh, system for explaining a bunch of data that we have that uh is the best current explanation that we've come up with wouldn't it be great if the big bang could actually sponsor us either the television program or the concept wouldn't it be great if we had like a regular sponsor <laughs> like blue plate or whatever the hell it is that people have the food uncooked come to their house <laughs> twice a week and then they apply the heat to it. Uh, maybe someday, Hank. Maybe someday. <laughs> you know what I like? We should we should make our own one of those and call it the food uncooked. <laughs> Here's the, we've got an incredible new concept for you. What we do is we uh, send you groceries. Uh, we mark them up quite a bit. We send you groceries and then uh, you turn it into food. Uh, or, 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 or it's the food cooked. And it's, uh, it's this local, say, okay, here's what it is. It's a building in your town, yeah. a place where you can go inside yeah. and they will give yeah. you cooked food. And it's called the food cooked. It's like Blue Apron, but you go to a place instead of it coming to you, and the food is already cooked. I have to say, I actually use one of those services, Plated, and it's freaking amazing. I love Plated, <laughs> so I shouldn't make too much fun of Blue Apron because it's not that different. But man, we use Plated twice a week, and it just it allows us to have dinner together, to like make dinner stop, together, stop, and eat stop, really good John, food. Stop. I'm sorry, it stop. is a good experience. Stop it! Stop it! Wait until they sponsor us. Jeez. Uh, okay, I will. I will wait until they sponsor us. I plated. I await your uh, thousands and thousands of dollars. I was going to say hundreds, but I'm, I'm, I'm not selling myself short anymore. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep, it's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt. I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. <laughs> Um, Hank, before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, we have some corrections and responses that are very important that we need to discuss. Number one, uh, okay. we received an email from Lang, who is an actual uh, mammoth paleobiologist. We should just... Oh, gosh. The mammoth thing is still happening. The mammoth thing is still happening. Here's the thing. I, I said that I was happy I did not live with mammoths because I like being at the top of the food chain. However, mammoths and mastodons were both herbivores, so they would have had no interest in eating me. And I want to apologize to all the mammoths and mastodons out there. I'm not totally sure whether you guys are extinct, actually, but if you aren't, I am really sorry because 
That was an unfair characterization of you. (laughs) Can we we really, really quickly just end all discussion of mammoths and mastodons before we get something else wrong? Great point. Couple responses that we need to get to. Um, uh, Lots of people wrote in to say that uh, capitalism is not objectively better uh, than other systems, which is maybe true. I don't know. All we know is that uh, Hank and I are not economists. Also, also, Lorena wrote in to uh, respond to our statement that the USA is the only really powerful country in which you would want to live and the only really powerful country that you would want to rule the world. She wrote as follows. You guys answered this question about how the USA is the only powerful country you'd want to live in. And I admit that sometimes I forget about how you still have this huge American pride. So suddenly I got a little sad because I look up to you so much. But I think that the USA is one of the meanest and most annoying countries out there. It helped military governments in Latin America, and we still suffer from this. There There are more reasons, but that one strikes me the most. Yeah. I would rather have my country be influenced by Finland, Norway, or Denmark than the USA. Brazilian girl and frustration, Lorena. Lorena, I want to be absolutely clear about something. We would also rather have the world be influenced by Finland, (laughs) Norway, or Denmark. We just weren't counting Finland, Norway, or Denmark in our category of powerful countries. I think Hank and I were thinking of three countries, China, Russia, and the United States. Yes, that's correct. Also, you are absolutely right that the United States has been a foreign policy disaster in Latin America for a long time. Yeah. And... Full stop. Full stop. Uh, but yes, please, Norway, become the most powerful country in the world. Start spending 34% of your GDP <laughs> on defense, and <laughs> please just take us over. Hey, they got a pretty good army there in Norway. I think they have compulsory service still. There's also an email from Madeline, Hank, that I wanted to get to because it just has the favorite, my favorite quote that I've read in many years. Uh, she writes, Dear John and Hank, not seeing, not, I'm not seeking dubious advice. I was just listening to your discussion about how activism can be a frustratingly long process. And it made me want to share something I found recently in Olive Schreiner's 1911 book, Women and Labor. I'm just going to read you this quote, Hank, because I think it may stick with uh, some of our listeners the way it stuck with me and, and with Madeline. I would like to say to the men and women of the generations which will come after us. You will look back at us with astonishment. You will wonder at passionate struggles that accomplished so little, at the, to you, obvious paths to attain our ends which we did not take, at the intolerable evils before which it will seem to you we sat down passive, at the great truths staring us in the face which we failed to see, at the great truths we grasped at but could not get our fingers quite round. You will marvel at the labor that ended in so little. But what you will never know is how it was thinking of you and for you that we struggled as we did and accomplished the little which we have done, that it was in the thought of your larger realization and fuller life that we have found consolation for the futilities of our own. All I aspire to be and was not comforts me. Hmm. I just thought that was fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's it. That's all. I just wanted to read that. Thank you, Madeline, for sending that in. Thanks to everybody who emailed us and all the things we didn't respond to. I'm so sorry. But hey, but we have to get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. That's right, John. We got some news from Mars. It's a paper published in uh, in the journal Nature. And I'm just going to read you the abstract because that because I can. And, you, and I know you want to hear it. Abstract. A major knowledge gap exists on how er- eruptive compositions of a single Martian volcano province change over time. Here we seek to fill that gap by assessing the compositional evolution of Elysium, a major Martian volcanic province. A unique geochemical signature overlaps with the southern flows of this volcano, which provides the context for this study of variability of Martian magmatism. The southeastern lava fields of Elysium Planitia show distinct chemistry in the shallow subsurface down to several decimeters relative to the rest of the Martian mid to low latitudes average crust and flows in the northwest Elysium. By impact crater counting chronology, we estimated the age of the southeastern province to be 0.5 plus or minus 0.08 GA younger than the northwestern fields. This study of the geochemical and temporal differences between the northwest 
southwestern and south southeastern Elysium lava fields, is the first to demonstrate compositional variation within a single volcanic province on Mars. We interpret the geochemical and temporal differences between the southeast and northwest lava fields to be consistent with primary magmatic processes such as mantle heterogeneity or change in depth of melt formation within the Martian mantle due to crustal loading. It's very exciting, John. Oh, that's great. The best part about that is that nobody's going to hear the news from AFC Wimbledon because everybody turned off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What, uh, did, what did that... I mean, can you tell me in a sentence what that meant or will it just become more annoying? <laughs> it basically it basically means that the, this one one volcanic area of Mars has uh, has has lava flows from different time periods. <laughs> Oh, wow. That is exciting. Um, well, the the most important third-tier uh, soccer team in England, and arguably the world, AFC Wimbledon. So, Hank, you'll recall that last week when we podcasted live from uh, NerdCon Nerdfighteria, AFC Wimbledon had just defeated Walsall thanks to a goal from the Messi from Montserrat, uh, Lyle Taylor. And that meant that AFC Wimbledon had climbed up the table a bit uh, closer towards safety. Remember, it's 52 points. Over the last 20 years, every team with at least 52 points at the end of the season has not been relegated uh, from League One. So that is the that is the goal point total at the moment. Uh, and that put us on 43 points. Uh, and then we had an away game against Scunthorpe. Scunthorpe currently second in the league, very likely uh, to go up to um, the championship, the second tier of English football next year. Uh, and that away game against Scunthorpe, it, it, it looked terrible because not only were we playing a team ranked very highly, also we were playing a team that generally is very good at home. And furthermore, uh, AFC Wimbledon had not won an away game since October. Mm. But Hank, hope is the thing with feathers. And then you lost the game. And AFC Wimbledon emerged two-one victors oh, over Scunthorpe. Good for you. Good job with sports. We won a game away from home in 2017. It was it was incredible. It was thrilling. It was everything that you could want it to be. AFC Wimbledon uh, went up one nil. Dom Polian scored a goal, and then uh, I think he did anyway. Uh, and then and then he definitely scored the second goal and Scunthorpe scored a goal in like the 85th minute, but it was not enough. AFC Wimbledon, 2-1 victors, suddenly from from a, a, a nervous making position, 40 points after uh, 32 games, suddenly AFC Wimbledon are back in 12th place, 46 points after 34 games, now just six points away uh, from that magical number 52. And at this point, honestly, looking up the table more than looking down. All right. Look up that table. Just the way that those scientists are That's looking right. down on the Elysium Planitia of Mars to determine the geographical and, and temporal specificities of Martian volcanoes. John? I want to correct myself. The first goal was scored by Dean Parrott. Um, oh, thank you, Mr. Parrott. Thank you, Mr. Parrott. We appreciate your goals. And uh, Hank, thank you for potting with me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. John, I had a good time, uh, and and I feel bad for all the things that we didn't get to answer. Dear Hank and John is produced by Rosiana Hulse Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our editor is Nicholas Jenkins. Victoria Bongiorno is our head of community and communications, and our music is by the great Gunnarola. You can contact us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We are Hank Green and John Green on Twitter. You can use the hashtag Dear Hank and John if you would like to send us stuff that way. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John, and we are also living on the surface of the best planet on which to raise your children. That's right. Can't beat it. Can't beat it. Thanks for wa- thanks thanks for watching. Thanks <laughs> thanks for watching this visually fascinating podcast. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening and as we say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.